So I thought to uh, start us off, I might uh, refer back to comments that were uh, introduced by uh, Peter yesterday on uh, Binswanger and Warburg that foreshadows some of what we'll discuss, as well as Francois's uh, comments uh, uh, in the latter part of the uh, uh, proceedings, where he referenced uh, the role of the unconscious in uh, creation and uh, uh, recognition of the creative products. Uh, so if either of you would like to start, and we'll take it from there. It seems to me one point that's been overlooked so far in the symposium is that the psychoanalytic method is very analogous to Warburg's method of close attention to detail. The hair in a Roman sarcophagus and the hair in Botticelli, and that the small attention to detail is also, of course, a psychoanalytic method, that uh, it's a different kind of listening and any kind of uh, social slips that uh, we hear in conventional conversation, we overlook them and uh, don't make out a <laughs> anything, make anything out of them. But in uh, psychoanalytic work, you pay close attention to the most minor uh, verbal and nonverbal. Uh, the whole uh, clinical teaching of Wilhelm Reich is to focus on the nonverbal, the body, the posture, the way the man comes into the room, and the way he sits down or lays down, whether he straightens the uh, cuffs and, and the seam of his pants and, and so on. It, it communicates a great deal. And psychoanalytically, uh, the, the emphasis on the small detail is also what Warburg has in common, and, and it was mentioned once yesterday, but I think it deserves a little more, uh, the technique of Carlo Ginsberg, who looks at the single case history in depth and the minor uh, things that took place in an inquisition uh, interrogation and so on, and, and uh, what uh, the man had to say, at, you know, the Miller and so on. So uh, I think that when the illustration was made, there was a reference yesterday to the position of Moses's foot. Uh, now I would say, in that great uh, statue of Michelangelo in the church of San Pietro in Vincoli in Roma on the Corso Cavour, uh, the small detail that one should focus on and that Freud focused on was not the foot, but the finger, which pulled aside that torrent of a beard. It, it looks like a waterfall coming down a masterpiece. And, uh, designed for uh, the Pope's, Pope Julius's uh, tomb, but uh, this indicates for Freud, and I, I think we can go with him on this, uh, a uh, ambivalence about action. He, theory, he, it's the second time Moses came down from the mountain, and he was again enraged and thought of smashing the tablets and thought I think is uh, not a coincidence. It, it's time-specific. Um, from there, I, I would say that the uh, fearful, and the, the big thing that I'm not really hearing is the uh, demonic, uh, bestial, uh, blood-consuming, uh, that Barburg feared that came out in his psychosis, murders, uh, kidnapping, threat, 
And I think that there's been a decline. I, I think Freud was right in Civilization Its Discontents, 1930. There's been a decline in civilized, and, and that really should be put in quotation marks, civilized behavior, just as when he writes about civilized sexual morality and modern nervous illness, uh, he's mocking it. And that uh, civilization by 1930 was in danger, and he says so, this is explicit verbis, is in danger of destroying itself. There's that much aggression. And one of the things that happened in the psychosis is that the aggression wasn't contained. It wasn't uh, bounded. And, and uh, it's, it's really um, a comment on civilization. And if Freud had lived until 1945, we can only fantasy what he might have written about the state of civilization. But who are we to say he was wrong? I think there's been a decline. And I think uh, we're on American soil now. And you may know that the American national anthem, uh, the Star's Bangled Banner, was written by Francis Scott Key as he was in Baltimore Harbor in the War of 1812 to 14, which is the American part of the Napoleonic Wars. And he was not a prisoner. He was on a truce ship with a British admiral and a British general, and he had gone down on this truce ship to free a certain Baltimore physician, who, uh, which he got out of, of British captivity. And they were watching the bombardment of a fort, Fort McHenry, and they, they, the British admiral and general said, now you've been with us, you've dined with us, and uh, we can't let you go back because you now know our plan for invading Baltimore, that uh, we're going to bombard the fort and then make a landing and uh, try to come in on the east side and so on. And so they held him captive during this night in which he watched the bombardment. And that's, those are the words of the Star Spangled Banner. But there's a level of civilization there between adversaries at war that, uh, you know, they treated him well. Uh, he had to be held for an extra day for this reason. And there's a level of civilization in the American Revolutionary War when you read in the letters of Thomas Jefferson. He was governor of Virginia at the time, and he invited British captive officers to dine in Monticello. And there's a nice exchange of correspondence where they thank him for his graciousness. And he said, you know, we may have uh, countries who are at war, but we can still be civilized to each other. Uh, we've had a debasement, really, it seems to me, of values. And I think that the Warburg uh, picture is very much a part of that. I, okay. Well, uh, I, I'll jump in later. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, perhaps a question for me uh, confronting psychoanalysis and history of art through the work of Warburg is the common point between these two fields of investigation, of research. I, I, I think effectively that unconscious is a common point, an intersection, and we have to know how Warburg informed Freud and how Freud informed Warburg about unconscious, uh, the dimension of creativity of unconscious, the uh, timeless dimension of unconscious, the adimensionality of unconscious is really important in the creative process and also to interpret uh, artistic works. But today, in this morning, uh, I think the question, very difficult question, is the place of psychosis in the process of thinking of Warburg. Uh, I am a psychoanalyst and a psychiatrist, and it's difficult to speak about psychosis of uh, Warburg that I didn't know him. Uh, I have no clinical interview with him. I have only his work. Freud said about Schreber, 
that it was possible to read the psychosis directly in the text of the President Schreber. We don't need to see the, the patient, but I think it's difficult because as a psychoanalyst, we have always the risk to be the speci specialized in the prediction of the past. It is an important message uh, to have the history of Warburg, of Warburg work, to look at it from Nemosin, for example, Nachleben, uh, or the Atlas, and, and, and so on, and to use the creativity, the scientific creativity of Warburg to interpret the, this strange moment between 1918 and 1924, uh, when he was first in Vienna for a psychotic breakdown and after he was uh, in uh, in uh, Binswanger Clinic at Kreuzlingen near Zurich. And uh, uh, we have access today to the, the, the description of everyday life of Warburg in this clinic. And uh, it was very ill, very uh, difficult moment of his life. And uh, how can we make a relationship between these data of the clinical state of of, uh, of Warburg and his mental illness and also to, to make a relationship with his thinking in art investigation. And I, I think uh, it, it, it is a clinical uh, problem, it is an ethical problem, it is also a theoretical, theoretical problem to, to make this kind of causality, this kind of relation, but we can try to do it. But uh, for me it's necessary to be really prudent in the, the construction of something between um, uh, a mental state and an intellectual production. It's very easy to make the relation afterwards and to use a, 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 a retrospective projection, uh, the illusion of a project, project retrospection and prospection is difficult. Alors, I have a point. It is important to think about unconscious for one part and about psychosis for the other part. For me, the, the work of Warburg after uh, the psychotic breakdown perhaps we can discuss about uh, a real access to, for, to, to something new through the, the psychotic breakdown of, of, of Warburg. Uh, perhaps we, 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 I can speak about applied psychosis to investigation of art. Uh, applied psychosis, it's, uh, we have to discuss about that, right? it's a hypothesis, huh? applied psychosis, because we can say it's a delirium. A delirium, Freud was speaking about uh, the question of truth in delirium, huh? the direct access to the other, uh, uh, too important access, too access to the meaning. Too much meaning, yes, like if a scanner of analysis of the world. Delirium and truth, it's one question, one level question. The other level is, for me, invention, psychotic invention. And Warburg created new ideas about art. It was and perhaps inventions. But these inventions finally revealed to, uh, were revealed to be discovery. And for me to find how to associate delirium and truth, invention, why not, psychotic invention and discovery is a very important field of investigation. There are some mathematicians, we can speak about Nash, for example. We can speak about Newton, why not? We, we, where people with these strange borders, strange limits between invention and investigation. When an invention, invention and discovery, discovery. When an invention become a discovery. It, it, it was for me an important question about Fabu. Really getting at uh, the 
part of a, I think, a, um, a dialectical question that runs through much of psychoanalytic thinking about, you know, is there a dialectical relationship between psychosis and creativity, uh, disorder and order, entropy and organization? Exactly, exactly. We can say that, that for artists, it is perhaps well known, better known, artists with <laughs> Psychotic problems have a creative, or they, are, they lose completely the creativity, or they have a possible creativity. But here we are speaking about scientific creativity in a psychotic uh, thinking. And I think it is a great question for us, uh, for, for psychoanalysts, for psychoanalysts, but also for to think the relationship between uh, these, uh, the process of creativity. For historians too. I, and, um, I think the, what you, you state it very well and there, within psychoanalytic history there's something of an anticipation of that say in, in Ernst Chris's regression in the service of the ego. Um, and it's very interesting to think how close Chris was to the Warburg School. Um, and how important it was to him. And, um, and just to, to, to follow up on some of the, uh, the comments here, um, in the work that I've done in uh, studying Warburg's ideas um, and also Fritz Oxel's ideas in comparison to Freud and, and to uh, Chris, uh, what, what strikes me is not only a um, an intersection in idea and theory, but a kind of methodological yes. intersection that, um, that Peter also was, was referring to. Um, I was interested first to see how psychoanalysts interpreted culture, then I was interested in seeing how the interpreters of culture were using psychology, and, and, and Warburg was absolutely uh, crucial in this. And one, um, one idea, I think, that Warburg was um, advancing, so to speak, without putting it this way. He, he talked about the afterlife of antiquity, but the return of the repressed, and that this was a, a, an idea, right, an attitude or an interest of those in psychology and culture in the early 20th century that could bridge what they were doing. Um, Warburg, what interested me and then in, in Warburg is not only the idea, but the methodology he was pursuing before his breakdown. Um, and, and what I found interesting was this, that the, the very close attention to detail, when you read Warburg's essays, um, and, 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 and don't, uh, before sort of expanding upon the content of his ideas or theories, but just the, the methodological approach of his essays, how extraordinarily careful he is. In, in building an argument. I mean, excessively careful. Um, and, and it's very, I think, interesting to point out because as we're talking about him, we were talking about very large universalistic conceptions that stretch across time and borders that were very important to him. And that psychology was key to establishing this. But in his own essays, um, how interested he was in particularities and being able to cite the source of almost every single proposition that he was making. And, and so he could argue, you know, give the, it's, it's God is in the detail, right, was one of his, his phrases, right? He could also say the devil is in the detail, but his was the, God is in the detail. Also his idea that within the image, the image is an accretion across time. What, what attaches to the image is as important as the final product that we see. And that Warburg didn't follow this as much as, say, Zoxel did. I mean, Zoxel was very taken by the idea that you could trace these accretions and, and sort them out in an even more detailed analysis. Um, and of course, Warburg thought that the image was, in fact, a kind of action, um, that, that to do art, was repeating an action, the action that was, was portrayed, and that it was a step from ritual, which was too close to, to something that was, was further from it, more symbolic. Um, and he was very careful, and, and he used, and he, he saw the images, he saw images not only as documents, 
in the way we've been talking about it. But he saw it was essential to apply documents to an understanding of the image. And so he, when he was in Florence, he was not only looking, he was not only looking within the churches at the images, he was going into the archives, the family letters, the family correspondences. Um, and he was key to developing a method of studying art through the patrons, through patronage, um, through study of pageantry and ritual at the time. All, and to come back to, my, to, the, to the point I began with, before the breakdown, he is so careful to establish this context, that the context was almost a way, was both an advance in methodology for interpreting the image, but almost a way you can almost feel him trying to keep composed, trying to keep these, these um, ambivalent, right, conflicting, um, issues he's dealing with, both within himself and culture, to, to find this balance. And it, it's fascinating to read his scholarly method as a way of a, a sort of trying to keep himself together. And, and moving forward, and then comes the stage, right, yes. where invention and investigation suddenly yeah. merge. Perhaps I yeah. can say something <laughs> about your argument, because it's, it seems to me very important. When it was in, in Jena and after in, uh, in Binswanger Clinic at Kreuzlingen, he, he has this problem that was very important for, for Binswanger, the flight of ideas and uh, too much meaning, uh, everything in relation to everything and to, to have a, a, a too big access to, to the meaning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I ask me about the process of healing of, of, of Warburg. And we can say that the, 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 the question of the details uh, is very important and he has something like if we can say, a metonymic style of thinking. Of thinking from the part to, to arrive to the global meaning. Mm -hmm. Starting from the, the, the part, from the detail. The, the God is in the detail. It's the idea is like he was looking for a root of himself in the detail. And he, we have for one part, flight of ideas, and for the other part, metonymic style of thinking, uh, interval, detail, uh, the, the, the movement, the foot of the Ninfea Fiorentina, the foot of Gradiva for Freud, the, the foot of Moise, moments of suspension, a, a rupture in the flight of ideas. And I think the Perhaps we can have the hypothesis that he cured himself using the the, the interval, the the the, 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 the suspension yeah. of the action, huh? because yeah. he was in in a flow of action, and all his intellectual work and intellectual creativity was here to stop this flight of ideas, and perhaps it is linked. Uh, to get together in the in the th process of creativity, in process of scientific creativity of Warburg. Um, within uh, this frame of mind of trying to uh, find parallels between artistic and psychoanalysis, I would like to introduce a third term, which I think is absolutely crucial, and that's historiography. Uh, I think that both complicates and expands the whole uh, frame of what we're discussing because it's precisely historiography that is the analysis of the historical, the art historical text in this case, which is a form of analysis or even a psychoanalysis. And what I find very, very interesting in this case is that the art historian himself in Kreuzling becomes an object of analysis by a psychoanalyst, namely Binswanger, who not only analyzes him, but also his writings. We know that he had read, before he heard the Kreuzligen uh, famous lecture on the snake ritual, that not heard, he had read carefully 
his works. He mentions Luther in his correspondence, which was just published in 1920, one year before he arrived in Kreuzlingen. In a later letter, he mentions the Sassetti essay of 1907. Uh, and from certain comments, we definitely understand that he had read the dissertation on Botticelli. I'd like to bring one example, which is his, uh, Vince Wanger's comment after Warburg gave his lecture on the images on the, of the Pueblo uh, in 1923. And his comment was rather dismissive. Uh, he was very critical uh, that the lecture was almost chaotic in its structure. Uh, and uh, of course, that Warburg was content and it was met with success. But he had a lot of criticisms. And in fact, he mentioned something that I find very symptomatic. He says that what he does is he covers everything with so much uh, accessory element. And he calls that bivac. He uses the term, and the main events are left as philological allusions that very few people in the audience can understand. I think that's the most ingenious diagnosis that Vince Wanger ever had of our book, mm. beyond his uh, mental condition, but of his own work, even if he's critical and negative, because that's precisely the core of our book's logic. That is to bring the accessory or the detail, as, as we said, that is so much uh, used in psychoanalytic interpretation to the very center of interpretation. But of course, he's right to say that things are covered by accessories. But you know, then we can start asking ourselves, what's precisely the function of these accessory elements, both in Warburg's historiography, but also in Freud's analysis? For example, that to me, uh, if I can make a parallel, function similar to the role of screen memories images that appear again and again and cover the main facts. Mm -hmm. And yet, the only access to, we have to the main facts are these screen memories. Mm -hmm. And we have to go and move through them. And usually, there are certain details. Yes. The image of the little botanical specimen flower, which is connected to all these different things, and you know, to the flower bouquet that uh, Freud wanted to give you his wife, to the little uh, book that he had seen in a, in a bookstore, and finally to opium and cocaine, mm -hmm. which is the main effect. But we would never have gone there without the image of the little flower. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm thinking, what if we think of images in these terms in art history? Right? and see what uh, appears as an accessory element that covers things can also reveal them. Right. Oh, no, it's, it's an excellent discussion because it's also a discussion about a lesson of clinic. Huh? To, to treat uh, a psychotic uh, breakdown, it's not only to, 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 to put it away, but to, to use the solutions of the subject. Mm -hmm. And here, with detail, historiography, context, all these kind of things, we can postulate that Binswanger used that to treat Warburg, uh, uh, not mm -hmm. treatment, putting away the symptoms, but treatment using the, the, the solution uh, that open the, 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 the symptoms of the patient. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, perhaps uh, it was an important contribution. I know, for example, that Vince um, uh, Wanker proposed to, to, that Prince Horn will come to, to, to his clinic yeah. to meet uh, uh, Warburg and to discuss with him about mm -hmm, uh, yeah. creation and uh, art and the so on. The big thing is that he gave Prince Horn's book on yes. publication in 1922. Yeah. He gave it to yeah. Binsbone, uh, to Barborg. Yes. This is a, what today you'd call a relational method of treatment. He also had Barborg to tea and to dinner with the family, which is the method he acquired from his teacher, Bloiler. Mm -hmm. Eugen Bloiler he used to bring patients mm -hmm. in the Berghalsley, including Sabina Spielrein, and you find letters from Bloiler to Mrs. Spielrein in Rostov on the Don about her behavior is much better today and uh, we had her to tea and so forth. And I think the uh, very humanistic treatment, the reward would be you get to go for a walk with Binswanger and his son when uh, the, uh, there'd been uh, 
stubborn, wouldn't eat his breakfast. At, uh, Binswanger laid down the rule. You have to eat your breakfast by 10 o'clock, and uh, then you can go for a walk with me, and so on. Now, I question this idea of really psychosis and creativity. I don't think it's that simple. I think that uh, Lawrence Kuby had a correct intuition when he went back past the structural model to the topographic model. And he said there's something that happens between the unconscious, which admits ideas to the pre-conscious, and then you can work with them from the pre-conscious. He goes back to the early model, and that's his model of creativity. And I think when you read uh, Kafka, for example, who says an artist cannot be alone enough, meaning he has to go inside deeply and bring it up and work with it. Now, Warburg was not particularly creative after release from the uh, Kreuzlingen. He uh, gave a couple of addresses, talks to opening congresses, and so on. But there's another kind of creativity, I think, that uh, psychoanalysis frees sexuality. And Warburg was able to enjoy a relationship with his assistant, Gertrude, and they went to Rome several times, long trips to Italy. There's a downside to that, that he necessarily, oh, not necessarily, strike that, that he uh, didn't remain attentive to his family. When uh, his wife writes, uh, what shall we give the children for holiday? He's dismissive, buy them whatever they want. But uh, we have you know, ample record that uh, there he was in Roma and in Italy having a, a very good time. And uh, I suggest there's a new release of a sexual freedom that came out of his treatment. And the harsh uh, underside of European culture, you remember that charming anecdote that uh, in 1929, when the Pope signed the Concordat with Mussolini, and it meant that uh, Catholic instruction would be given in schools and crossed in all the classrooms in the secular kingdom of Italy, which uh, since 1871 had been secular. Uh, there was great activity on the streets of Roma, and they told him, don't go out. It's dangerous for foreigners. You don't know what's going to happen. He stayed out all day and half the night and came back and he said, you know, I've been studying the primitive underside of European culture for 40 years and now you deny me the chance to see the rebirth of the primitive here in Rome. And it was, uh, I think, what he's looking for in culture, the, the primitive underside. And Freud also, incidentally, found this in himself during World War I. A terrible. Uh, th there was uh, mentioned yesterday, I think it was Diddy Huberman, uh, that you could send a letter from uh, belligerent Italy uh, to Austria and vice versa. Uh, I don't know what his data is, but Freud's correspondence with Binswanger details how after the war, his son is still in activity, uh, captivity, uh, in the Abruzzi. He's wounded. He's in a hospital. He's lost his pack. And Freud cannot communicate with him. All they had was a postcard from the Red Cross. And so Freud writes to Binswanger. It's a long correspondence about this. Uh, you are in neutral Switzerland. You can get money to him. Uh, please help him. And uh, in fact, uh, Binswanger did that, sent 500 uh, Swiss francs to Martin, and we have Martin's memoirs where he said, uh, due to my father's excellent international connections, I was able to buy drinks for all the other prisoners. <laughs> and so, uh, now, that's the ego functioning of a very good uh, father, but in himself. Freud discovers 
You remember the dream, which he, fortunately for us, the interpretation of dreams is something that he revised and added to. It's in the chapter on wish fulfillment in dreams. He has a dream of 1919. Take a look at it. The text, uh, well, the manifest, let me just tell you about the The manifest content is uh, that he gets a check and says to his wife, this is dream content. What is this uh, 5,000 kroner? Do you know anything about it? And she said, no. And he said, well, we received this. And association, that's what a unit sends to the family of killed soldiers, Unteroffizier. And so then uh, later in the dream, he sees a bandaged man reach for something up in a cupboard. And he says, can I help you? And the man doesn't answer. That's the manifest content. And the latent content that he then <clears throat> associates to is who doesn't answer? The dead don't answer. And he dreams uh, about the death of his son. I think this relation between manifest and latent content, you can see it in Barbu's historiography itself. There is, uh, and especially towards his sources. Uh, I wanted to mention Freud, for example. He does not appear in any of the published sources, but so do not appear other people like Darwin uh, or Vignoli that were important to him. So it's precisely his notes, uh, the things that are today kept in the Zettelkasten that give us a much more complete idea of what he had read. Uh, and they give us uh, the background beyond what is been published. And also, uh, to your remark that, well, he didn't do much after he came back. He did a lot. Uh, but um, no publication, you're right, nothing was published. Uh, but he gave lectures, he gave courses, he organized exhibitions. And also uh, the work of our book throughout his life, even before the collapse, was precisely that of making research. And the research would not always lead to a publication. There are hundreds of unfinished lectures yes. just for the sake of research that are there. And somebody else, perhaps, later will come and finish them and publish them. And Zaxo. The yeah, that and building the yes. library as well. Yeah. I also wanted to mention, in, in terms of its relationship to Freud, that's also a big mystery, because there are very few notes on Freud in the Tattelkest. And I looked at uh, two or three. One of the Traumdeutung, he had read it apparently, and the psychopathology of everyday life. And then there's this mysterious note on the margin of uh, uh, the, the, the manuscript for the, his memoirs for the Kreuzlingen lecture that I miss Freud's totem and taboo. And one could think, OK, we know he didn't have his books with him at the time. Couldn't he ask Bisswanger? You know, Bisswanger had all of Freud's work at that time. So I really want to ask what the phrase, I miss Freud's uh, totem and taboo. And which chapter? The third chapter on animism? Or uh, the second chapter on prohibition? Or the uh, killing of the father and the fourth? All of these issues that, as I say, uh, Freud is somewhat a latent content in Warburg. That's why we were all so happy when Didier Berman's book came out and uh, made these connections manifest at that time. And I think the relation to psychoanalysis is important there. But that's, I would say, the latent connection to an, all sorts of different authors and writings is, uh, is an element of Warburg. And also, how he converts everything. I would not call Warburg either like a Freudian or a Darwinian or anything. Anything that he takes from other authors, he totally metabolizes it. There's a huge distance between him, which is, I think, a, 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 a thinking distance. Um, an analogy which has to be limited. Um, in encountering uh, Warburg as a scholar and the methods he used, I thought of a completely different type of historian with a completely different vision, and it was E.P. Thompson only because once E.P. Thompson was asked, how would you define your method as a historian? And his answer was, anything that works. And, and I think that sums up E.P. Thompson brilliantly. Um, that was his um, 
mindset. And you read through Warburg's pre-1923 writings, and even the, the Hopi lecture. Um, he was willing to try anything that worked. And, and I think that that's, it's, it's very, I think, significant to keep in mind when thinking about why discuss Warburg in connection with psychoanalysis, with neuroscience. Um, I keep going back to the method. Um, and the, the, the theories, um, I find, you know, they, they can be inspirational. But for, but for people who are pursuing work from different disciplines, I, I think it's the methodological spirit, the methodological activity that, that seems so crucial. Um, when he says, you know, God is within the detail, when Freud talks about the importance of, of detail, I also think, for example, of um, a neuroscientist, right, Eric Kendall, who in, in Search of Memory described that, you know, his methodology was one cell at a time. One cell at a time. And that's not so far removed um, from, 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 from Warburg um, and, that, and that early 20th century approach. You know, what, one detail at a time. Now, what Warburg found in this sort of detail of the nymph, right, um, I just add to, to follow up on, on, on where there can be intersection and instinct theory. Um, Warburg also found death in the nymph. Um, not just the sort of return of the repressed, but, but death. And I think it's possible to compare, for example, what he was doing in interpreting the, you know, Botticelli with what Freud was doing in the theme of the three caskets and interpreting the fates and interpreting especially Cordelia in the end. That this too, I mean, you know, Shakespeare was Renaissance in that sense. And Cordelia, you know, is in a sense um, Freud's nymph as Gradiva was. And Cordelia is death. Um, and, and represented very much, very similarly in the sort of mental image, which is another issue that I thought would be interesting. You know, Warburg's, I, you know, that, that the image that we see is also accompanied by mental image that has to be understood. But the, um, those links a, a, as well. But, but methodologically, um, I think, yes, if one wants to build upon Warburg, I think one turns to the methodology. Um, but um, that's speaking from someone who, come, who comes at it as a historian, and neither an art historian nor psychologist. I wonder yeah. if you'd agree that the Kreutzlingen lecture, the method, is presages of Fernand Braudel and the method we call anal today. Uh, the environment, I, I, the climate. The that, that's rains, very, yes, it, there's elements uh, of that. Yeah. It's the first and, uh, time that he used the term Umwelt, right? Which mm -hmm. is in the very 19th century. I think it's an important field of research in this conference, is a research conference, a research seminar. We have to work about it because it's not for me important to know if Freud was before or Warburg before or the Warburg knows Freud and so on. But we have the same questions at, at, at stake in the same moment and in different fields of research. It's very, something very impressive for an historical point of view. Why you have simultaneously Freud, uh, for why, why not de Saussure for the question of the meaning in, mm -hmm. in Geneva, you have Schoenberg changing completely the music, uh, you have Cezanne in painting, you have a simultaneous change in different fields. And for me, it's very surprising, very, very strange. You, you, even if they don't know them, them uh, be, between. And uh, I don't know, for historical point of view, what is this kind of simultaneity? Roland Barthes had the idea of encounter between different intellectuals living at the same time, discussing what will be the discussion between, we have to create the discussion between Freud and Warburg about detail. If you have create a fiction, you know, you, 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 they, they come together. It's not new, me and you. It's Freud and uh, Binswanger and uh, Warburg discussing about the function of metonymic 
thinking in the analysis of detail in uh, clinic and history of art. We, have, we, we are in this kind of, of situation. The, I the think other the question was, yes. that was presented about uh, totem and taboo, I yes. miss my totem and taboo, is fascinating, and my association would be to murder. It's the murder of sons, and then the yeah. murder of the father, and this is something he was very obsessed with. Saturn. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, the, the outbreak of the psychosis was getting a pistol in Hamburg, 1921, 18 actually, but it's not a country that had the Second Amendment and weapons all over the place. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, and he was afraid of murders, of his family, of himself, and so on. Totem and Tabu, it's a wonderful gem. And the, the, the other question about your precedent uh, discussion is the fact that for me, I had the impression, like you said, that Warburg, after uh, the breakdown, after uh, the clinic of uh, Binswanger, uh, between 1924 and, uh, and the death in 1929, had a very important creative work. Afterlife, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Reanimated. Yeah, re yes, I have the impression of that. It is a second life. And that the, the, the library, the mnemosyne, all this research we discussed yesterday mm -hmm. was very central after this experience of yeah, psychosis. Yeah. But what you see is a kind of condensation of the things. He goes back to the earlier things, even the Bodicelli and others, yes. and condenses and I don't want to say systematizes, yes. somehow he puts together in the Mnemosyne Atlas, etc., all of these themes that come back with Ovid, Botticelli, and others, and some new ones, such as uh, Northern, uh, Renaissance, uh, Northern Renaissance and Baroque art that he never had touched before. Right. So okay, revisit, revisit his but also, own yeah, work yeah, yeah. through a new with a new point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to mention one other detail in the Kreuzlingen lecture. There's one word that comes up, and it's the only pathological one, and it's the term schizoid, uh, in the very second page, right, of the published text, when he says that uh, to us, and that's a critique, I don't know who he means us, the Westerners, the, his audience, etc. Uh, this um, the, the dual practice between fantastic magic and sober purposiveness seems to be the symptom of a cleavage. But to the Indian, this is not schizoid, and he uses the term schizoid, but the sign of an endless communicability with the environment. Right? So this is one time, and I don't know to whom he refers that. You know, the Indians himself, uh, you know, it's one of these really dramatic moments that uh, uh, his own state and the state of an entire culture that is considered schizoid, and that's his accusation. This is not schizoid. There's, and that also sounds less Warburg uh, and more, I would say, Binswanger of the phenomenological uh, yeah. era, right? The endless communicability yeah. with the environment. That's not Freudian. No. Right? Freud would well, consider the finally his Umwelt, the hostile a, environment that we have to protect ourselves from. Uh, right? It's a very interesting remark, and perhaps we can, you can say something about that through your work about Warburg, because I was surprised that in the beginning, and it is also present in the letter of Binswanger to Freud in uh, November 1921, for Binswanger, Warburg was a schizophrenic patient. In the school of Zurich, Burgelsli, he, he, he looked him at the pre-senile delirium and something like a schizophrenia. And after the consultation of Kreplin, Kreplin in 1923, I think, Kreplin said it's not a schizophrenic, it is an endless uh, flight uh, of ideas, uh, a mania. He, he said it is a mixed mania co-depressive state with a very good pronostic. And after this diagnosis of uh, uh, Kreplin, the, the vision of uh, Binswanger about Warburg changed completely and the evolution of uh, uh, like if it was a change of paradigm, 
suddenly a change of paradigm for Binswanger, for the clinic, but also for Warburg himself. And it is why it is very good that they prepared this book about the different documents with the idea, idea of endless healing. Uh, it, it's the flight of ideas, the flight of ideas become an endless healing. But I think there's a consensus, I'm hearing a consensus that was a successful treatment, that there's a reconstitution and uh, whether you know, this is a new burst of creativity, I, I don't think so. I, I'm building the library uh, and obsessively building the library yes. was a major feat in Hamburg and, and the details of the architecture and that they had uh, tubes to send things from top to bottom and so on, a lovely build, which do you know the um, Biblioteca Gian Giacomo Feltrinelli in Milan, the, the dome with the lights coming through? Uh, that's what it reminded me of, the, the photographs that we've seen. It, the, um, what you point to is something to focus on about his post-Kreuzlingen life. Um, it, it's interesting also to think about in light of the library because Warburg in the library was to create a kind, of, a, a kind of community, so to speak, for himself that he could not create for himself in the outside world and maybe began to, you know, um, very, very late and too late in the, in the 20s. But when you think about how he thought of that library and the phrase he used to describe his principle of organization, the good companion, um, I mean, when you think about Warburg's scholarship, um, and then that term, put books next to good companions. That's a very different attitude now. Um, and it's not unscholarly, but it's an idea of what he's doing through his scholarship that is sort of a search for kind of community. That by putting these books together, by putting these books together, he can be, he's in some way putting the people together and that he's communicating with them and it should be good companions. And, and that makes it natural, not artificial. Um, and, and to use the word natural to describe what Warburg does is very difficult at that time because it is so, you know, because his, his, his search for composure is so complete. Um, but there in the library, right, this, this community that he creates for himself, um, one has to try to imagine, you know, what it, it, it you can't, you can imagine what it might have felt like. But I think any scholar would, would be able to appreciate that. That's something that doesn't distance us from, from Orberg. Um, and, I'm, and, and one more point um, having to do with how one finds, again, in the method, um, an access to, or at least a, a way of thinking about um, his sort of relationship to, to the world and to, to himself. When Warburg goes in search of the documents, you know, when he goes in search of family documents, and business documents. I mean, he reads the accounts. You know, he's reading the, 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 the bank, the business accounts, and the family memoirs. Now I'm trying to picture Warburg handling the documents that were written by or being in proximity of the documents of the people that created them. And when he spoke about the artist sort of reviving antiquity, for him, he thought that the artist was putting himself in some kind of danger, so to speak. That there could be some kind of spark, right? That would set something off. That, that there was some ego issue that, that could resolve. Well, now Warburg is, is with these documents. And I just try to picture myself, all right, I mean, now, again, methodologically, right? He's putting himself into proximity with these documents. Um, what is going on when he does that? I have no idea. But, but he was very, very intent, right, mm -hmm. on being with the documents. And, and I think that was something that was even very different from other art historians at the time who, who emphasized the same kind of procedure. Mm -hmm. yeah. there, are you almost implying that there was a self-healing strategy in, uh, in this behavior? Perhaps. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I'm I not think yeah. that it was a self-healing strategy. Yeah. But I think also that Binswanger used the self-healing strategy of uh, Warburg. It, it, this is very important. Perhaps the documents, the, the metonymic interest for uh, details, 
the, the metonymic style of thinking, the, 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 the question of movement, of inhibition of movement, as we discussed yesterday, is very important for Warburg himself to stop something uh, which is in the uh, too much excitation, too much psychomotric, psychomotor excita excitation, excess of of the living, excess of meaning, excess of of, of of signals of the body, perhaps, and for him, perhaps, the document was like a rapture. But I, I think it also was a, a risk he was willing to undergo in some sense. In other words, a risk he had to take. I, I'm, again, I'm speculation. Yes. In other words, it, the, the two aren't, it's not, they're not opposed interpretations. But to undergo healing, you have to take a risk. Oh, yes, and, and, and there was always, an, you know, just as in the, the image, as healing for the artist yeah. entails a risk. Yes, okay. And the but risk that the artist took, he's taking with the documents. Oh, I, it's a or I'm completely wrong. It's an interesting reflection <laughs> about treatment of psychosis. Mm -hmm. Huh? Because to use the solution of the subject, the invention, invention of the subject, as it is for one part risk and for one part uh, an issue. And mm -hmm. we have this mm -hmm. uh, difficult uh, way. And I think it was really important in the strategy yeah. of uh, Binswanger. I, I think in that question of uh, dealing with documents, I think he treats both documents, papers, uh, either historical documents or even books, uh, contemporary books, and his encounter with people in the same way as encounters. For example, the first time he reads Darwin, he puts it in his diary. 30 years later, he's going in the, in the front cover of the book and write that I read this in 1889, and when I first read it, I thought that's finally a book that helps me. So it's, a, it's an encounter that he goes back to again and again, as if the book was a real person. Uh, Sigrid Weigel uh, the recently uh, wrote an article about uh, Warburg's reading of Darwin, and the next day, uh, he was reading that for two days in uh, Florence in the library, the uh, next day he meets his wife for the first time. And he leaves Darwin because his notes finish, and he plays the Cicerona with Mary. So what does this mean? The most important book that I have read so far, and then the next day I meet the most important person in my life. I think psychoanalysts could, uh, you know, put this sort of coincidence that happens at the time. And, uh, you know, it's a periodic one. I even think, and somebody said it yesterday, you know, he had to visit the Pueblo as if it was a document. In a way, and he reads them as documents. And in fact, uh, it's sometimes when we look at the notes, we don't know some of his sketches of pottery, for example. Did he see that live or did he see it from a book? Because he also goes to the Smithsonian and other sources to look at books. And so, so it's a scholarly research. And people, live people, uh, uh, real people, and historical sources somehow come together in, in literary sources. And even and that would be the most extreme argument that could make, is that his uh, visit to Kreuzlingen and Bellevue somehow ultimately acts as this encounter with the very things that he was researching his entire life, that is madness, irrationality, etc. I'm not saying that he pursued that visit, but in the end that's, that's how it uh, it functions. There's it's work. almost an implication in what you're saying in terms of his encounter with, with books and objects that almost a retention of the, um, the ability to animate the inanimate that is a quality that uh, people like Greenacre uh, attributed to uh, highly creative people. That what is so uh, immediately available to us in early childhood to sort of uh -huh. take the inanimate and in some way make it animated or to anthropomorphize the, you know, all living things. I would uh, say even <clears throat> the relationship between the books that you mentioned uh, is fairly, if not animistic, totemistic. That is, you have all the books on the snake, mm -hmm. right next to the books on the eagle, and right next to another bird, et cetera, et cetera. So there is this totemic affinities and analogies yes. between the books. Uh, which some time you can rearrange in new analogies, exactly. right? Creating, and creating a new world uh, yeah. by con contiguity uh, and not continuity. Uh, 
yeah. introducing a discontinuity because what is surprising with Warburg in the library of Bar Warburg in my impression is that you, it's not a psychotic confusion mm -hmm. it is his introduction introduction tensions rupture contradiction uh, details uh, in the process of uh, the organization of the library, also in the iconology. If, if the image was uh, a stop, uh, an open question, an enigma, mm -hmm. and not a source of confusion, and perhaps in the process of healing, it was a decisive moment when it was not in the flight of ideas and confusion, and he opposed something which is suspension, fracture, tension, rupture, contradiction. And it's the way, it's, it was his way of breaking what he thought were artificial, even unproductive boundaries between disciplines. I mean, the, the catalog of the good companion meant as a methodological result is that books from entirely different disciplines were going to be found next to each other. Yes. And, and, and to my mind, again, in a, in a conference like this, um, that, that was Warburg's sort of truly kind of prescient step, that, that this is an alternative organization and, must be con and there, we must begin to conceive of this <coughs> interdisciplinarity um, at a time when he probably felt very constrained by that. Um, there was no clear method forward, although in a few years Freud would found Imago, you know, psychoanalysis applied to all of the Geisteswissenschaft and all the humanities and social sciences. But Warburg himself in that library was, was his way of trying to create a framework for doing what so many people now across disciplines conceive of as, you know, necessary. Yes, yeah. Yeah. but the question remains why these kind of solutions of invention were fi finally discovery. For me, it's very mysterious. From invention to discovery. I think one of the things that I want to pick up about the treatment, I, mean, I, th I think it was successful and I think it's significant. Uh, Francoise, what you point out that Vince Wanger was quite pessimistic. He said, in yes. fact, it's hopeless yeah. yes, in 1921 and that there's a move. Now, Freud and Bloiler told us, and, and uh, there's a uh, psychodynamic truth in it, that behind every psychosis there's a kernel of truth. Something happened. Something uh, that we can get at if you listen properly get into the phenomenological world of the patient, right? Now, one of the things in his delusions was murders recounted briefly uh, that he was very concerned. He had a big cartai of all the Jewish persecutions and the blood ritual murder in the Barber archives, it's, it's there. And one of his charges against Binswanger was he wants to murder the Jews. Comes up several times. And I think this uh, psychosis of murder, and in the um, delusions in Kreuzlingen, he says, you know, this male orderly is the one who poisons me every morning. This, uh, and this uh, idea that his family is in another pavilion in Kreuzlingen and, and being tortured and held captive. And uh, even on these walks with Binswanger, he would walk up to the other pavilion and uh, knock on the door and ask for his wife Mary and so on. So you've got a reemergence in life of some of these uh, early fantasies. And they get, I think uh, it was a phenomenological treatment of a person that was successful. And you can see uh, Binswanger working with him as a 
What strikes me when I read the clinical history put together wonderfully by David Stimili, who should be here, <coughs> uh, in fact, and he has published that history in Italian, French, and uh, in German, um, is the extreme ambivalence, indeed, towards the analyst, towards the treatment, right? Mm. Sometimes he's devil, sometimes he's the healer Asclepius, which is inevitable, right, in, in, every, in every type of treatment. Uh, there. Uh, and then there's a very amicable correspondence after the, he returns to, uh, to Hamburg uh, at that point. Um, so, uh, and I think that all of these fears somehow don't get resolved, but somehow the, the object that embodies the ambivalence is basically the snake in the, in the lecture. Right? The snake is both a healer and the awful snake that belongs to the fire. Did you the, and notice he changes. In film yesterday, yeah. uh, there are some wonderful snakes, but they're not rattlesnakes from. Uh, but <laughs> uh, the, what was wonderful in the film is that was an image of the actual capella in uh, Kreuzlingen that has precisely the representation yeah. of the plasm serpent. And we know that he, in fact, visited uh, the chapel and he saw that. But it's interesting how this little object, again, I don't want to call it a detail, but this small <laughs> can not become the cause of all evil or good, etc. but everything can be condensed to it and somehow present some kind of resolution through that, through that lecture, which is not an exactly snake ritual. The editors called it Schlag and Ritual, but it's just on images. Yes, but the writing of the memories by Schreber was a solution for Schreber. The conference about snake ritual was a solution for Warburg. Oh. But we are at the end of the round table, I think, but perhaps we can, it will be a possibility to do another round table about transference. Because sure. if we are talking about clinic, it's also the difficult question of transference in psychotic patients. And here it is a transference with Binswanger in the clinic, but also a transference of Binswanger with Freud and the sure. question of the Multiple correspondence. Transfer. And yeah. it's a lot of people included, like, like in the culture. We, we, we find the same inclusion of, of the thing in another uh, semantic field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a wonderful way to uh, end the roundtable to uh, pose questions for the future. And you know, we're going to have the, the question period in the afternoon. We're going to take a 15-minute break, and then the memory uh, roundtable is going to convene. So thank you all for okay. I have to read your, your book. Uh, the reference are in the program, yes. Yeah, uh, I have two chapters in my book.